Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to our fifth fifth Fred Talk. That's actually pretty impressive, Mr. Borg. I wasn't sure that we would uh, actually make it to number five, but here we are. We've explored the history of our advanced individual training, where the Army trains its paralegals. Today, I understand we'll get the opportunity to explore the history of the Judge Advocate School, where the Army trains its attorneys. And from what I know, the Army has moved its school around several times, including a stop at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And you know, Mr. Bork, I don't want to brag, but I've been rejected from that university more than once. And for some reason, I still love the Wolverines. And maybe, just maybe, deep down, this was the connection I knew that I had with that school. So in either case, you can only succeed on the battlefields of tomorrow if you first learn about the battlefields of yesterday. So today, join us as we talk about the history of the Army's Jack School. Good morning, Mr. Bork, and uh, welcome to the fifth episode of Fred Talks. Um, we've had judge advocates serving in the Army for hundreds of years, but my understanding is that Army lawyers haven't always had a place, uh, a brick-and-mortar training institution, if you will, to go along with their practice. So, in fact, a brick-and-mortar is relatively new as compared to judge advocates' legal practice. Is that fair to say? Good morning, Captain Command. Yes, that is fair to say. Um, relatively speaking, certainly in the sense that there has been a lawyer in the Army since 1775, having a JAG school or some sort of brick-and-mortar institution where judge advocates went to learn military law is, is recent. Really, even professional legal education for lawyers is relatively uh, late in our history, uh, certainly in the in the 18th century and the 19th century, there were a few law schools around, but most lawyers simply learned the law by uh, acting as an understudy to an existing attorney. Uh, and then when he, in this case almost always a he, felt that he was ready to take the bar, to pass the bar exam, you had an oral exam in front of a state court judge, and then you, quote, pass the bar, unquote. There also in the Army in the 19th century was was some education, certainly for cavalry officers, for example, and for artillery, but there was, for example, no infantry school until 1918 when it was established at Fort Benning. So schools as a whole, not just judge advocate school, schools as a whole didn't really exist as we know them today. Yes, I, I think that's really true. If you came into the Army uh, as an officer, there was no officer basic course that you went to. Uh, unless you went to West Point, there certainly was no ROTC program until World War I. Um, so it really is not a surprise that the Army JAG Corps did not have a school. But all that changed in World War II, and there are a couple of reasons for that. Everything had been on the job prior to this time. If you were in the relatively small JAG Corps, you, uh, by the way, it was called the JAG Department in those days, uh, you simply learned on the job. So this rapidly expanding army uh, meant a rapidly expanding JAG Corps or JAG Department. 
Uh, General Marshall, the Army Chief of Staff, actually wanted to build 100 divisions. And ultimately, there were 90 combat divisions with 2 million soldiers in ground combat units. And every single division needed a judge advocate. And then armies and corps needed judge advocates, and post camps and stations and garrisons needed judge advocates. But there was no time for on-the-job training anymore. And so the judge advocate general at the time, Major General Myron Kramer, recognized that we needed some sort of a school or refresher course uh, for lawyers coming into the Army uh, for active duty. And at first, the school actually opened at National University uh, in February 1942. So the United States enters the war uh, after the attack on December 7th, February 1942, we open up a JAG school at National University. By the way, by the way, that's today's George Washington University, GW. Uh, but almost immediately, the problem was insufficient classroom space. And you also need to remember that at this time, there is as yet no Pentagon. So there's a real problem for an expanding army anyway in Washington, D.C. Where are we going to put all these people? Well, ultimately, we build a Pentagon, but until that time, there's just not enough space. How, and, how big, if I may ask, Mr. Bork, roughly how big was the JAG department at this time? Um, a couple of hundred, I think. A couple of hundred at, at most. Uh, some had been on active duty. But there were some judge advocates in the Army Reserve, and they're being called to active duty, but there weren't enough. Uh, but even those coming in from the reserves need some sort of, of classroom training, refreshing on the articles of war. And so we got an invitation from the University of Michigan probably because of some contact that someone had in the JAG department in those days at the University of Michigan. But I also always think, uh, Captain Command, that think about it. Where are most military-age men in August of 1942? Well, they've enlisted. They're not going to school at Michigan. So I suspect that Michigan was thrilled to have the Army say, how about if we come up and open up a law school for Army lawyers on your campus? Because I suspect that there wasn't much going on at the University of Michigan. So we opened up a school at the University of Michigan on the 5th of August, 1942. So think about this. We've never had a law school for lawyers, army lawyers previously. So what sort of curriculum should we have? Who's going to design this curriculum? What should be taught? How should we teach it? How about law books? Well, there are no law books. So someone had to actually not only design the curriculum and decide how courses were going to be taught, but also come up with texts. And in fact, the judge advocates at the school, who were the cadre, came up with military texts to teach government procurement, contracting, 
uh, Hague and Geneva conventions. And there just really wasn't much out there. We had the Manual for Courts Martial, 1928, uh, and we did have Field Manual 27-10, the law uh, rules of land warfare, but that was pretty much it. And oh, by the way, you're developing this in the middle of a world war as well. Exactly. So it's sort of building the car as it's already being driven. Um, not only are we talking about administrative law and claims, but they also had to learn something about citizenship and naturalization, uh, government contracting, and, of course, war crimes. And then the bread and butter, which was military justice courts martial. So I think it's pretty clear that uh, Colonel Hamilton, uh, Edward Hamilton, Ham Young, was selected to be the commandant at uh, the University of Michigan for the first school because, first of all, Ham Young was already in Washington, D.C. And second, uh, Ham had taught at West Point in the law department. He was, in fact, an academy graduate, class of 1917. Uh, he'd been commissioned in the infantry, uh, but in the 1920s and 30s was at the law department at the, at the military academy. And he actually had written several textbooks on constitutional law. So not only had he taught law, but he was an intellectual who had written some books. So I think this explains why Ham Young was chosen to be the very first commandant of the JAG school. The problem almost immediately for the Army was that we had some judge advocates in the Army Reserve who were being called to active duty, but that simply wasn't enough. And what the JAG department wanted to do, what General Kramer wanted to do, was do the exact same thing that the Army had done in World War I, which was to directly commission lawyers from civilian life, bring them into the Army. So at this time, the Army was not, during World War II, uh, up until this point, they were not using direct commissionees? That's correct. Um, most judge advocates in this era had come into the department from other branches. So the question is, though, well, we're going to directly commission lawyers, and that's how we'll get them in. And the War Department said, nope, not so fast. JAG Department, you can do what every other branch is doing, and that is run your own officer candidate school. So that's what we did. In the only time in history, the JAG department had an officer candidate school at the University of Michigan, and that is how we got most of our judge advocates in World War II. So, if you were an officer already in the Army, let's say you were an infantry officer, but you'd been a lawyer in civilian life, and you now said, I don't want to be an infantry officer anymore. I want to be a judge advocate. Then you could come to the JAG school at Michigan and go to the regular course. But there were very few of those sort of students. Most of the time, there were lawyers who'd been drafted and were now in the enlisted ranks, and they decided, well, I'm happy to be enlisted, but I'd really rather be a judge advocate, be a commissioned officer. Those 
individuals applied to come to the Army's law school. It was very, very competitive. Um, I think only maybe one out of four were accepted. And General Kramer personally approved each and every person who came to the JAG school. By the end of the war, about 1,700 lawyers had passed through the JAG school, and there were 15, I think, 15 OCS classes. It was pretty grueling. Uh, 62 hours a week of uh, training and education, 17-week course, got 35 hours in the classroom, which is a lot of time uh, in seats, and then 13 hours a week of uh, military and physical training, firing weapons, um, marching, running, calisthenics, familiarization with weapons like the M1, the machine gun, the 45 caliber uh, pistol. Um, so and the idea of the the idea of the soldier lawyer is already kind of forged. Even, oh, even already there. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that was a little bit unusual, and it was never waived, was you had to be twenty eight years old. What was the reason for that that age uh, limit? I I'm not really sure. It's not clear. Uh, I think they were looking for uh, lawyers who'd had some time in private practice. And probably the idea was that if you said you can't come into the Corps unless you're 28, chances are you'd already been in some sort of private practice, um, maybe looking for more maturity. Uh, but 28 is is pretty old in terms of a soldier in this period. Most soldiers are going to be in their late teens or early 20s. You were supposed to be a graduate of a law school, but this was often waived. Because, again, in the 30s, many states did not require that you be a law school graduate. You could get into the bar if you simply studied and passed the bar. Uh, So that was often waived. But the age of 28 was never waived. Um, I think probably one of the most interesting things, and this is an incentive that I've I've often half-heartedly suggested we might think about today, and that was... The Army gave the JAG Corps the authority alone of all OCS programs that it could decide to commission the students who graduated in the top half of the class as first lieutenants and those who graduated in the bottom half of the class as second lieutenants. So this was unique because in every other OCS program ever, you get commissioned as a second lieutenant. But probably because we were talking about men with advanced degrees, the JAG Corps, JAG Department was told you can give them first lieutenant or second lieutenant rank. So certainly must have meant some competition uh, because if you've been a second lieutenant, you realize that you don't want to be a second lieutenant. So, for an example, uh, where did the first class go? The first OCS class of judge advocates graduated in August of 1943. Uh, One lieutenant went to be an assistant SJA at an infantry division in England, obviously getting ready for the uh, D-Day invasion that happens in June the next year. One went to Italy on the front at Monte Cassino because we already invaded Italy. One went to Iran to Tehran with the Persian Gulf Command, and another went to a fighter command unit in England. Again, this is a period when the 
Air Force is part of the Army. So pretty varied practice. Uh, and again, as I said, uh, that's the bulk of how we got our lawyers and 1,700 officers had passed through either the OCS or the regular classes by the end of the war. Well, Mr. Bork, I think that is a fascinating history that I certainly didn't know about. And I think there's a lot of people that, uh, that don't know about the, the history of our judge advocate general school, where, where, where are its origins? I'm hoping at some point we can do a, a part two and we can get into the aftermath of that. How do we end up in Charlottesville, Virginia from uh, the University of Michigan? But before we do that, and before we go, uh, episode number five, how are you feeling so far about Fred Talks? Happy to keep doing them as long <laughs> as we can make them interesting and short. I, I think we're doing just that, and I appreciate it. If, unless you have anything else on the University of Michigan, I just want to say thanks again for another great episode. You're very welcome. See you at the next one. I appreciate it, Mr. Bork. Interested in providing material to the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate? Reach out to us via Twitter or LinkedIn at JAGFCD. Or visit our website at tjaglix.army.mil forward slash FCD. That's tjaglcs.army.mil forward slash FCD. We're always on the lookout for the next guests, topic, discussion, or yes, even the next Fred Talk. As always, the views expressed on the podcast are the views of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School, the United States Army, the Department of Defense, or any other agency of the United States government. Reference in this episode to any specific commercial product, process, or service, or the use of any trade, firm, or corporation name is for the information and convenience of the public and does not constitute endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the Department of Defense. Remember that you can only succeed on the battlefields of tomorrow if you first learn about the battlefields of yesterday. So thank you for joining us today. For the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate, I am Captain Justin Command. We'll catch you on the next episode of Fred Talks. Fred Talks.